702 on a Tuesday, Big Band Tuesday. Happy Tuesday, everybody. Halford Brown, Sportsnet 650. Just prior to starting the show today, A-Dog, Andy Cole, producer extraordinaire, said, and I quote, I'm really excited about Big Band Tuesday. Oh, it's my favorite day of the week. This speaks, <laughs> this speaks to your heart as a musician, does it not? Oh, totally. If I had a musical soundtrack for my life, it'd be Big Band music. How many instruments, playing nonstop. How many instruments can you play adequately? Actually, very few. Only piano and, and singing. I'm not one of those multi-musician guys. Did you call? Did you call singing an instrument? Well, sure, your voice is your an voice instrument. Is an instrument. Of course, it is. You work in radio. <laughs> it's not an instrument. <laughs> well, maybe, detri- not, maybe that's yours. It's a detriment. <laughs> What's the word I'm looking for? Ah, <laughs> uh, yes, detriment. That's the one. Halford uh, and Brett of the morning hour two brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. To the phone lines we go. Joining us now, our good buddy Kevin Kurz from the Athletic here on the Halford and Brett show on Sportsnet 650. What up, Kev? How are you? Good, guys. How you doing? We're good, thanks. Thanks for taking the time to do this. Lou Lamorello interrupted your lazy, sleepy summer by making moves on a Monday near the end of August. Uh, three deals yesterday, uh, all RFAs, Dobson in the mix, Bellows in the mix, et cetera, et cetera. The more interesting thing, Kev, obviously, was that Lou Lamorello finally met with the media yesterday, and he said that he wasn't disappointed in this offseason. Now, you, you, in your lead for The Athletic, you mentioned that trying to gauge public opinion, especially online, is tough. But is the general consensus, even beyond the quote-unquote very online, that this is a disappointing offseason for the Islanders and the fans at large feel that? I will just say to start off, I mean, I appreciate him doing that on a Monday morning rather than like a Saturday at 9 p.m. after I may or may not have had three or four beers at that point. (laughs) Uh, So Monday morning's fine. Um, But, yeah, in terms of disappointment – well, yes. I mean, the, the fan base is disappointed with the lack of activity, and it's it's a lot of the reason for that is is Lou himself saying that there were going to be hockey trades on the horizon uh, right. back when right. uh, you know the off season began. So, um, you know, for 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 months, really dating back to the trade deadline, uh, when the Islanders didn't do anything, they didn't make a single transaction on trade deadline day, despite being out of the playoff race at that point. The fans, I think, have just been waiting for something to happen. Um, And, you know, there is still something to be said for the line that Lou did say is that sometimes the best transactions are the ones you don't make. And that's true. But there were so many opportunities here, I think, to upgrade the forward group just based on the number of high-end forwards that change teams and guys that I think would have fit in great here. I mean, Kevin Fiala, I think, would have been a great line mate, perfect line mate for Matt Barzell. Um, Alex Dabrinkit, you know, that return I think was a little modest considering the player he is. So, um, you do, it is, it is really, it does sort of defy logic that they didn't do anything to upgrade the forward group. And I know there's still time, but you know, I would be surprised if they did anything between now and the start of the season, just based on loose tone yesterday. What do you think they tried to do? Well, I think there was some mutual interest with Johnny Goudreau. There was certainly some mutual interest with Nazem Kadri. Um, you know, it's, it's always tough to, to get any information, I guess, with, with Lou, even though I've been covering for him for less than a year. But um, I think they were willing to move out some money in order to, to upgrade their forwards. I mean, when he talks about hockey trades, they would have had to probably move out one or two forwards if they were going to 
acquire one of those high-end guys. So they were probably listening in um, on, you know, Anthony Bovillier, maybe Josh Bailey too, even though I, I don't think I was, I was told pretty early in the summer they, they probably weren't going to move Josh Bailey, but um, you know, they, that was the main, I think, area of concern with this team when the season ended and, and throughout the season was the lack of firepower at the wing position. And that hasn't changed. And so we'll see if uh, some guys come back and uh, can, can improve on uh, their seasons last year, because that seems to be what the organization's counting on at this point. Did Lamorello mention anything about just things being tight around the league, not much salary cap space out there. So it's tough to make trades because here in Vancouver, we expected a few more moves uh, by the Canucks and the Canucks had said that they, want to clear cap space and they weren't able to do it just because there wasn't really space elsewhere in the league and nobody had much interest in some of their assets um, because they didn't want to add, uh, they didn't want to add money to an already tight situation. Yeah. And I think the, the last time I looked at cap friendly, I think it's like 13 teams are over the salary cap right now. And obviously they can make some moves. Some of them can make some moves to get under that, but um I, I would imagine it is pretty tough to move some money right now. So, um, you know, if you're the Islanders and you're trying to move Anthony Bovillier and it's $4.1 million, there aren't many teams that even have that space available right now. So, you know, which, which is one way of looking at it. But the other way of looking at it is the time to move money was earlier in the off season. The time to make moves was, 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 you know, before the draft or at least, you know, in the opening days of free agency. So, and it's a hard job, you know, you don't want to trade somebody and then not end up filling that spot. Um, but, you know, that's what general managers are paid to do, right? And make those hard decisions. So, um, you know, we'll see. The Islanders do have a little bit of cap space. They should have a little bit of cap space going into this season. So maybe the plan is to just see what they have and hope that some of the younger guys, the Oliver Wallstrom types, um, and Noah Dobson should be improved. He should be able to build on his second half last year. And you still got a real strong goalie tandem in Ilya Sorokin and Semyon Barlamov, probably one of the best in the league. So, um, you know, maybe you just you see how you look in uh, a month or two into the season and, and make some decisions from there. It's, it's, that seems to be what the plan is. But still, at the same time, there is disappointment. To get back to your original question, I do think there is some real disappointment that that there's uh, there have been no upgrades to the forwards at this stage. We're speaking to Kevin Kurz from the Athletic here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650, talking New York Islanders in the wake of them signing three RFA's yesterday in Lou Lamorello meeting with the media. Now, Kev, I've kind of frame this that there's two schools of thought I guess on where the Islanders are at and the first one I'll call this the Lamorello thought and that's that last year was an aberration there was a bunch of extenuating circumstances that really plagued the first half of the season they made the coaching change that the group is good and that a coaching change will spark them and get them back to where they were which was the two-time you know Eastern Conference finalists back to back the other one is that last year was the start of the decline. This team was old and we really started to see it last year. And this is a team that's going in the wrong direction with older guys. If you had to predict right now, is it going to be the former or the latter for the Islanders this year? Is it going to be a bounce back or are we seeing the first signs of decline in this group? So I, I, I if, if you ask me right now, are they going to make the playoffs? I would say yes. I, I would actually pick them to make the playoffs okay. at this stage. Okay. And it's, that's where, you know, you, you try to, to parse social media with, it, it seems like, 
both things can be true. It can be a disappointing offseason. It can still be a pretty decent team. And, and I still think it's a pretty decent team. And are they getting older? Yes. But you, you, you look at Anders Lee, who had that devastating knee injury about a year and a half ago. He looked like himself towards the end of the year. He should be fully healthy. Ryan Pulak missed a big chunk of the season last year. And he's such a key piece, and he should be healthy going into the start of the season. So right away, you've got two guys that, I don't know, Pulak isn't even yet 30, but you've got two guys that are key pieces that should be a lot healthier. You have some younger guys. Ilya Sorokin, to me, is a franchise goaltender, and he's only played 74 games, only has 74 games of NHL experience. I think he's going to be one of the top goalies in the league this year. Just And he was last year. Uh, he was last season. He was one of the top goalies in the league. So I don't see him falling off. I think you've got Noah Dobson, who had a fantastic second half of the season, who should come in with a ton of confidence, and he should be a little bigger, a little stronger, and uh, he's going to be the, key, the, the court power play uh, quarterback. Uh, I think he's in line for a big year. And the other guys are not that old. And, and frankly, they got rid of some of their older guys. Dano Chara, Andy Green, they're not going to be back next season. And I think the fact that the blue line was just not playing with enough pace was the team's biggest problem last season. And, and they tried to address that, bringing in Alexander Romanoff uh, to pair with Dobson. So um, if that ends up being a, if, you know, if Romanoff comes in and, and he can build on some of the things he's done his, in his career, it should be a really strong top four uh, defense core. So I still like this team. I do think they bounce back. I think they need to add at least another piece or two if we're going to consider them as one of the top-tier teams. But I still like this group, and, and they still like this group. And they talk about this core as um, – I'm a big culture guy. And part of that is probably where I came from because I saw how quickly the San Jose Sharks deter deteriorated after Joe Pavelski left. And everyone talks about the strong culture of this team, and Noah Dobson talked to, spoke about it yesterday on his conference call. I do think there is something to be said for that. Uh, it's a core group. They've had success together. They like each other. They're going to come back, and they probably feel like they have something to prove. What if it doesn't come together? What, what are the consequences of that? Because the Islanders are in a new arena. Um, I'm sure the ownership group wants to, to make that place like as comfortable as possible um, or as, as good a place as possible for fans just so it doesn't get like, you know, bad juju or whatever in, in, in there. Mm -hmm. um, so what if things don't go well for the Islanders this season? Well, I don't think there's any doubt that Lamorello's got a lot of pressure for this season to be, to be a, a strong one. First and foremost, because he fired a Hall of Fame coach in the offseason, and he's handing the reins to Lan Lambert, who I know has a real good track record as an assistant, but has never been a head coach before. So right away, that's a bold move to, to replace Barry Trotz, who's, who still has – you know, a, a sterling reputation and could have coached at probably any of the uh, vacancies that were open this season if you wanted to. Um, so, so right away, that there's pressure there. Um, and you're right, you know, the, the fact that they have this new building here, a big part of the reason that the building exists, or, or you know, a, a big part of the reason they wanted that new building was to attract key free agents, right? And And that hasn't happened yet. So, um, I think that, again, is one of those things that added, has added to the disappointment among the fan base is they've all been to this beautiful new arena, um, and still it hasn't led to um, anyone from the outside joining the team after you know years of guys turning the Islanders down, whether it's you know Tavares, Panarin, or whatever, go right down the list. So 
Um, yeah, there, there's pressure on them to have a big year. I, I look at the window as being two more years. And um, I say that because back at the trade deadline, they re-signed Cal Clutterbuck to a two-year deal. He's, he's a guy that they could have moved at the deadline, but I think they still view him as a core culture guy and a fourth liner that um, can play in a bunch of different situations. Um, and just the way the, the, the salary cap is set up, the, you know, the roster is set up. I, I, just, I look at this as, an, as a two-year window this year and next season. Um, but at the same time, if, if, you know, if, if they, if they, if the wheels fall off this season, their, their management's going to have some questions to answer because, um, I think because it was, uh, an inactive off season. How confident are you that the Isles will eventually sign Matthew Barzal to a long-term contract extension? He's got one year left and then he's a restricted free agent. You know, my biggest takeaway from getaway day when the team left, and we talk, we ended up speaking with like 15 to 20 guys that day, really just about everybody on the roster. And one of the most telling moments was, I think I, I think it was me who asked Mass Barzell about him, you know, potentially signing a long-term contract this off season. And he was just emphatically, he, he was emphatic that he wanted to stay as an Islander for the long term. I don't think there's any question that he wants to be here he wants to sign a long-term contract extension and he enjoys being a part of this organization. He enjoys New York. So I do think this is something that'll get done eventually. And, you know, there's no rush, right? He's a, he's a pending restricted free agent. Um, so they have time to do it. Lamorella was asked yesterday if there's been any movement. And of course he didn't say one way or the other, if there has been, uh, I do think that's something that's going to get done eventually. But at the same time, what, one of the, you know, one of the biggest question marks heading into training camp is who's going to play with Barzell because that was one of the problems last season is they just couldn't find anybody to that, that had chemistry with them. Um, and Jordan Eberle did have chemistry with him before he went off to Seattle. So that was a role that was never replaced. And that was one of the big reasons I think, uh, you know, that I thought they were going to go out and, and try to target a scoring winger because they really need somebody to play with Barzell. And I wonder if there's anybody on this roster that, that is going to have that chemistry with them because it wasn't there last season. We're speaking to Kevin Kurz from The Athletic here on the Halford & Breath Show on Sportsnet 650. Hey, Kev, since we got you and since you mentioned this, I want to take the conversation in a different direction. Uh, you mentioned two things. One, that you're a big culture guy, and you mentioned you feel the importance of culture within an NHL room. And two, you spent a long time covering the San Jose Sharks. You alluded to the Pavelski thing. I'm curious because his name has been in the news so much, including in free agency, Evander Kane. Now that you've had a chance to sort of remove yourself from San Jose and you could look at things sort of retroactively or retrospectively, how big an impact did that whole Kane situation and Evander Kane himself have on the culture in San Jose? Well, it was big. And, you know, I was there through December last season. and You could tell that it was starting to trend in the right direction again um, in terms of the culture. But, I, you know, is it completely fixed? No, I, I, I don't. I doubt it. I don't think so. I think that team's um, still got a lot of work to do in, in terms of uh, trying to turn it over. But, you know, the, the fact that they're just not very good, I mean, it's, it's tough to have a real strong culture when the team's not very good, right? And and they weren't very good in the second half of last season. They're probably going to be a bottom five team again this season. So, I you know I think organizationally, there Mike Greer has a pretty big mess to clean up. Um, but you know, in terms of Kane, I think that was a move they had to make. That they had to clear they had to clear him out of that dressing room. There were just too many issues in the past few seasons and. Um, I would worry about that if I was an Edmonton an Oilers fan right now, because I, you know, I specifically remember one of Vander Kane's former teammates in San Jose 
I asked him when did it start to go wrong with him, and it was basically as soon as the ink was dry on his seven-year contract. Right. Was when you know he, he was great when he came in from Buffalo. He was in a contract year. He was a, a model citizen. He was a great player on the ice, and um, you know he was actually still pretty good on the ice in in the COVID shortened year too. But um, there was just too much other stuff going on that it was never going to be a cohesive group with him in that dressing room. And um, you know we'll see how he you know he's got a four year deal in Edmonton now, and it's. Uh, Maybe he's learned his lesson, but you know Doug Wilson thought he learned his lesson too after he had worn out his welcome in a couple other places, and that didn't happen. Were there any guys in particular that he clashed with in the room? Because you always hear stories about it in certain places. Right? I remember we were talking in Buffalo. I had no idea that there was this sort of long simmering thing between when Jack Eichel arrived on the scene and Ryan O'Reilly. Like it was like there was two alphas in the room, and that one eventually had to go. It's it, it always seems like there's one or two guys. I'm curious if there's anyone in particular where it's just like that. Maybe there was a a struggle for power or just trying to be the guy, but were there any particular players that he clashed with or was it just, he didn't fit with the group? Yeah. I just, I think it was just It was really, it was really just about everybody. I mean, he was, he was showing up late. He wasn't, he didn't have good practice habits. He wasn't abiding by the dress code at some, at, at some times he was complaining about his power play time or pouting if he wasn't on the top power play unit. And that was a room with a lot of big personalities. Um, you know, Brent Burns, uh, Eric Carlson, uh, Joe Thornton when he was there. I just, you know, I just think that it was, and, and, and the captain Logan Couture was more of a soft spoken guy, right? So he was more of a lead by example guy. So I just, I just think it was a combination of a lot of things. And, and it, it was Pavelski when Pavelski left. And then when Thornton left, I think it really became a problem because, you know, it was, there was, there's, there was a famous little six second clip that the sharks tweeted out when the, when they acquired a Vander Kane of Jumbo picking him up at the airport, right? there was a relationship there. And so I think Evander really respected Jumbo. I mean, everybody respects Joe Thornton, right? And then when Joe left for the Maple Leafs, it, it just exacerbated the problem and, and just became untenable at that point. Kev, great stuff today, bud. We want to thank you a lot for doing this. We really appreciate it. Enjoy the rest of the summer. Yep. Thanks guys. Thank Talk you. Soon. Yep. Kevin Curtis from the athletic here on the Halford and Bruff show on Sportsnet 650. One of the hardest things to determine about a team is, uh, let's say there's a team that's in trouble, right? Okay. Is it the roster? Is it the culture? Is it both? Because I think Kev made a really good point in that interview, and it's a point that we've brought up before. It's hard to have a good culture when you don't have a good team. Yeah. You can it's have, not impossible. You can, <laughs> it's not impossible yeah. to have a good culture when you have a good team, but it's hard to fully commit yourself to a job when you're looking around the room and going, we're not very good, right? right, right. So, and I know it's not right. It's not right, and 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 you can think, well, they're professionals. They get paid a lot of money. They they should do everything they possibly can. They're also human beings, right? And when you lose games, and you look around the room and you're like, there is not enough talent in here to compete. It, doesn't seem like our ownership group is fully committed mm-hmm. to putting the best players out here. That's when your culture starts to suffer often, right? And that's when it's really hard. Mm-hmm. Now, that might be when you most need a good culture. Sure. But it's a lot easier to commit to something and say, wow, we might have something here when you look around and you see the talent. Yeah, I, I think that's a big part of it, right? I think. The, the the X factor in all of this is um, there's only very few truly bad teams in the NHL now. 
There's only a handful, I would say, that look around and they're like, we're not very good. I think between yeah. the players' confidence in themselves and the parity in the league, there's probably a lot of teams that are like, yeah, we can go out and win this thing. There's some elite teams. Sure. For example, I think 31 other teams look at Colorado and are like, they're really good. Yep. They're probably better than us. And they won the Stanley Cup, so the, the concept played out. But I would say, like especially last year, San Jose's probably, there's a lot of guys that can look around the room and be like, we don't have enough to compete on a night-to-night basis to be one of the teams that's going to the playoffs. I'm sure there's a handful of other ones as well. And then you've got a bunch of mushy middle teams, right? Okay, I'm going to put you on the spot here. Sure. Um, I'm going to call these three teams the hanging on to old glories team. Boston, Pittsburgh, and Washington. Who is most likely to make a deep run in the playoffs, and who is most likely to miss the playoffs? Ooh, that is a good one. Uh, Boston, Washington, and Pittsburgh. Yeah. I think Washington has the greatest possibility to fall off. Yeah, I think they will. Because the Backstrom thing yeah. is so wildly underreported. Like, that is a huge loss for them. Yeah, I, was, I mean, talking Islanders, if, if there's one team in that division when you're looking up at and saying, well, they made the playoffs last year, we didn't, we want to make the playoffs next season, maybe we can knock off Washington. My safest bet for a long playoff run is Pittsburgh, and I say that just because they have the best player. Sidney Crosby's the best player on any of those three teams. Yeah. All due respect to Patrice Bergeron. Mm-hmm. I think he's probably number two. And Novechkin, who's probably number three. But Crosby's the best player of the... So I would say if there's someone that can do the, the dial-it-back machine, and they, they're running the band back, right? Now, Boston is also running the band back. In a big way. But I don't know... They're bringing what, band members back from the from Czechia. Yeah, he was on tour in Europe. He was, now he's back. I don't know what you can expect from David Krejci, to be honest. I have no idea. Yeah. I don't think that you can take a year off of NHL action deep into your 30s and just jump back in and be a wildly productive 2C. Yeah. So that would be my answer there. Pittsburgh 1, Boston 2, and then Washington 3. That's it. Well, that was a nice little tidy segment there. What else do we have on the program? We got Nick Shook coming up next. We're going to go NFL with Nick Shook from NFL.com. Uh, you want to lead with the Tom Brady story. Where Now, I'll say something. I respect <laughs> the hell out of Tom Brady if he was indeed not on the Masked Singer, but just got to leave training camp for 11 days to go on a family vacation. That is, what do the kids call that? They don't call it clout. That's what It's old like the call Jack it. Nicholson Batman story where it was in his contract that he would film Batman with Michael Keaton, but he had to attend every single Lakers home game. Really? It was written into his contract. I was unaware so of they this had to, contract. So they had to stop filming and let him go watch Lakers games. So according to Pro Football Network, PFN, uh, league sources indicated that Brady's time away from the team included a trip to the Bahamas mm-hmm. at an exclusive resort and primarily for family time with his wife. And then it adds, his commitment to family and having a personal life was at the heart of this hiatus from football and there was no medical emergency, as speculated, or other reasons, like the mass Singer. But again, not mentioning the mass Singer is exactly what someone would do if they were trying to cover up being That's on a mask Singer. See, it all comes to fruition here. We'll ask Nick Shook about this. He's probably going to be like, guys, I have absolutely no insight into this. We'll also ask him about Baker Mayfield being the starting quarterback in Carolina. We'll go around the league. 8 o'clock hour. We're going to do what we learned in the back half at 8.30. Start getting some in. Hey, listeners, you out there in your car on your computer, on your ham radio, 650-650, Dunbar Lumber text line. Text in to what you learned over the last 24 hours in sports. It was a very eclectic and wide-ranging sports night and afternoon. There was Premier League football. There was Little Mountain at the World Series. 
Nathan Rourke met with the media. The Jays had an off day. They started a series tonight against Boston. Get your what we learns in. What did you learn over the last 24 hours in sports? Let us know. We're going to do that at 8 o'clock. But uh, coming up next, 7.30, Nick Shook from NFL.com here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Time now for Sportsnet 650 traffic from the City News 1130 Air Patrol. If we're going through Surrey, a crash is southbound 170. Seven thirty-one on a Tuesday. Happy Tuesday, everybody. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet six fifty. Halford and Bruff of the morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. Three dealerships to serve you better: North Shore Acura, Acura of Langley, and Barrard Acura on Terminal Avenue. To the phone lines we go. Get caught up with everything that's going on around the NFL right now. Joining us from NFL.com, Nick Shook here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet six fifty. Good morning, Nick. How are you? Good, how are you? Uh, good, thanks. Thanks for taking the time to do this. Now, we were going to start with a variety of things. Baker Mayfield, Tom Brady's appearance on The Masked Singer, allegedly. But I want to actually start with uh, where you're from, and that's Cleveland, Ohio. Um, I know this is a big-picture, wide-ranging question-and-answer kind of thing, but what's it been like this offseason to be at the center of everything that's going on in Cleveland with the Browns and Deshaun Watson? That's a great question. I don't know if I could answer that within a lot of time. Uh, I would say that it's it's been a bit of a roller coaster in Cleveland coming off of the fact that, you know, the Browns underachieved last year and, and Baker was a guy that most everybody here wanted to support and when he didn't produce, you know, because he was hurt or whatever reason, uh, it kind of divided the town and then it divided the town further when they went after uh, Deshaun Watson and were able to acquire him. And since then, it's been a waiting game from their perspective for the most part there's been people that have been very um you know uh, turned away from the team uh by the fact that they pursued deshaun watson and gave him all you know 230 million dollars and get fully guaranteed money and everything else and then there's been the fans that you know have just been been bracing for the news of how long he'll be out i've gotten that question probably a hundred times being out in about the last five months how many games is he gonna miss how long is he gonna be out is he gonna be a year is he gonna be you know whatever it is now that that's settled, uh, it's going to be very interesting. I, I think people here don't necessarily know how to feel because they were very excited that the Browns finally got a potential franchise quarterback long-term solution when they haven't really had one for the last 20 years. And um, the fact that they, they, they got him, uh, it, you know, it, it made a lot of people excited. And people here, I think, for better or for worse, and I think, unfortunately, more than anything, is, is if you saw any viral images that came from the, away from the preseason game that happened there this weekend, uh, they're going to care about football more than anything else mm-hmm. because it's a football town. And um, a lot of people have been forced to separate between the two uh, or try to reconcile who they're going to support. Um, I think you'll see pretty positive fan turnout there in these first 10 games, but I think you might also see uh, some of the the peak interest dwindle if the Browns get off to a slow start. So it's been a very strange year, uh, and, and it's one where you know I ran to somebody who uh, works for the team uh, on Sunday, and they basically told me, you know, that, that it's just been tough around the office because of the whole Watson thing, and and that's somebody who's you know in the building every day, and it, it that's kind of tough for them, you know. But as a city, uh, we'll see what happens with them. How would you describe Deshaun Watson's apology? Mm. Rushed. Uh, they, he probably should take a little bit of time before going to the podium that day. I mean, you, you'd think that they would prepare him. Um, I, it. 
it was it was not it. It was not a good look, I think, um, especially coming right on the heels of the statement. You know, they have a well-prepared statement that, you know, expresses remorse and everything else, and then he just kind of trips and stumbles through an entire press conference where reporters are rightfully grilling him and, and pressing him on multiple matters, you know. Um, I don't think that the Browns as an organization did terribly in that in that situation and in the way they responded for the most part, but I think Watson could have been a lot better. And, and you know, I I don't know if that's, I, I would imagine that it's on, on them for not preparing, but I also think that in that environment, you can only prepare so much. So it, it was, it kind of uh, contradicted what he'd said in the statement and it was not a good look for them. Does he still feel like he's done nothing wrong? <laughs> That's a good question. It kind of sounds as if he does. I mean, if from a legal perspective in that situation, you, you, you know, maintain innocence until it is no longer able to be maintained. He settled almost all these cases. There are some left. So maybe that's why he's continued to say that. I don't think we'll ever get the full truth um, or the full story necessarily. I think what the reporting that we have is the, is the best that, that we can go off of because I don't think that because if he really did everything that has been reported, everything that has been alleged, I can't imagine there's a scenario in which he comes out and actually admits that and apologizes for that. So uh, the best that they can do from their perspective is, is you know, express some sort of remorse and, and go with the counseling route. And I mean, I hate to say it, but you know, it's mm-hmm. football. We, we know how this business operates and, and I'm sure that they're helping more than anything down the road. People forget. We're speaking to Nick Shook from NFL.com here on the Halford and Bruff show on Sportsnet 650. So this situation added, there's another wrinkle, another layer a complexity because Baker Mayfield yesterday announced as the starting quarterback for the Carolina Panthers, who take on the Cleveland Browns in week one of NFL action, which is a delicious storyline. Jason pointed out on our notes, it would have been even better if it was in Cleveland, but alas. So having covered Mayfield relatively closely, you're in Cleveland over the last little while. What are realistic expectations for what he'll be able to do as the starter in Carolina? I think Baker can be what healthy Baker was, which got the Browns to 11 wins and their first playoff victory since they returned to the league in 1999. The first playoff victory since the 1994 season. Right. Um, he is capable of getting you there if he has the right pieces around him. He's going to make some mistakes. He's going to do some things that are going to frustrate you, but, but I think a lot of people forget that he was pretty darn good in 2020. He was he was good enough to be mentioned on the borderline or the cusp of the top 10 quarterback class You know, in, uh, going into the next season before injuries and everything else, whatever it is, got in the way, and he ended up being you know having a very poor season in 2021. So um, I think ha- healthy, he can do that. I-, I actually think that last season really diminished his reputation. But the big thing is, is was that injuries or was that him? Um, you know, even in a little short amount of preseason that we've, we've been able to see him in so far, he looks like the same guy, just in a different uniform, which is what you would expect uh, when you acquire him if you're the Panthers. But, I mean, the same processes and everything else mentally you can see as he's going through it and, and when he tucks and runs, when he tries to, you know, create – Except you extend that over a four-quarter game. I think it's a better option over Sam Darnold. I don't think they're really that close, and the idea of a quarterback competition was a farce, in my opinion. But uh, I, they have the, enough talent to be a playoff contender. I really do believe that. I don't think it even comes down to Baker. I think it comes down to Matt Rule and whether he can actually coach them to that. Because to this point, he's always had a bit of a crutch, and his crutch has been, well, we don't have a good enough quarterback, or, oh, Christian McCaffrey got hurt. Well, if they have the defense that they had last year, which largely is coming back, uh, you add in you know a quarterback that might be more stable, and if you can get a healthy season out of McCaffrey, then there's no excuse, and it comes down to coaching. So 
that's going to be the bigger uh, question mark for me is whether they, he can actually get them in a position from the sideline to win multiple games. I think Baker is capable of getting them there. Staying in the uh, well in Cleveland's division, um, how much do you think we'll see of Kenny Pickett this season in Pittsburgh? I think he has a shot to win that job straight up. I think he has a shot to win that job in this next week. I think Mike Tomlin loves him a lot. He's wanted him to be good for a long time, I think, based on the fact that he's been able to get a, a neighborly view of Kenny Pickett in his years at, at Pitt. Um, and, and I think that his his words after that game they played last weekend told you know told you everything that you needed to know about it, which is – because, you know, Pickett, yeah, hey, you know, he comes in and, in in the first preseason game and he's playing what you would call a junior varsity kind of scenario. But I thought it was important that Mike Tomlin used the term varsity leading up to that this past week, you know, saying he's going to play, he's going to be the second QB in the death chart because we need to see him in more varsity action. He didn't waste it. I mean, and, and the funniest thing about the most telling thing is how Tomlin responded to a reporter asking, well, how, you know, what is it about Pickett that makes him good in the two-minute drill? Because he was excellent in the two-minute drill against Jacksonville, which was a defense that was playing most of its starters, if not all of it. And Pickett was operating with his starting weapons, although their offensive line has some things to figure out. Tomlin said, it's probably who he is. I know he did it next door. I, he probably did it in high school, and he probably did it in Little League. Some things people are born with. That tells me... That's a coach that is a believer in a guy. I think he wanted to be a believer in him for a long time, and he's probably really happy to see that justified in the preseason. Do I think that um, he could win the job for week one? Yeah. Would I be surprised if Trubisky was the guy? No. I think it could go either way. Um, and I don't know if we necessarily get a lot of additional information this week from preseason. I think it's more important to pay attention to how they divvy up their practice reps going through the week because that's really going to be more telling than anything. But I think, um, you know, the fact that Pickett did that with starting weapons in the offense and against the starting defense is extremely encouraging for a guy who some people may not have believed in as much as others. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. But it's, it's an exciting storyline to follow. You know, the division's going to be really interesting this year because for the longest time it was you knew who was going to be a quarterback. You know, Baker Mayfield had been with Cleveland for a while and they'd had some success. Ben Roethlisberger had been with the Steelers for forever. They're both gone. If you're writing up an AFC North preview right now, Nick, are you saying that it's basically uh, the Bengals and then everyone else playing for second? I hate to discount the Ravens that way. Okay. I really do okay. because um, the, the the Ravens' big problem last year was just injuries. They just got so hurt across the board, even finally losing Lamar in the last month of the season. Uh, and yet they still hovered near 500. They still you know, flirted with making the playoffs all the way to the end of the year. They, they've kind of prepared accordingly this year by adding some more depth at running back. Um, they hope that maybe they'll get Dobbins back, you know, maybe even for week one. Um, and, you know, you look at defensively, that was – that was where they were hurt the most was, you know, losing in their secondary, losing guys all over the place. They get, they get those guys back. They get add Marcus Williams as a safety. You draft Kyle Hamilton. Um, offensively, you, know, you draft a center who's already gotten hurt, but Tyler Linderbaum, but somebody that should shore up another position that's been a point of weakness for you. I think as long as they're, they're able to stay relatively healthy and not get decimated by injuries last like they did last year. Um, they're going to be a contender as well. The Steelers are, I don't think the Steelers are in position to be a very competitive team this year, right. but if Pickett ends up stepping in and being a lot better than we expected, then that does elevate their chances. In fact, yeah, you could say it's the Bengals and everyone else, but I think the Bengals have some questions to answer as well. So uh, the way they got to, to the Super Bowl last year did kind of, 
you know, s- smell of a little bit of the flash in the pan. Sure. Uh, so they have to come back and do it again a second time. So I think it's open. And and if it wasn't for the Watson suspension, I put the Browns in that competition as well. But I, I think that they're going to have a tough year. Yeah, it's funny when you look at because, I mean, we, we're all guilty of, like, the shiny new toy thing. And right now the shiny new toy in that division, really, in the N- uh, NFL is Joe Burrow and how terrific he was and that run that they went on in uh, Cincinnati. And you almost kind of forget, as you say, I, I hate discounting the Ravens like this, it's like, oh, yeah, Lamar Jackson was the NFL MVP just three years ago, right? Like, he was the best player yeah. in football. He's still and, fairly shiny, but just not as shiny as he used to be. We are guilty of shiny new toy syndrome, and I think that's probably maybe where I went with the the, the Cincinnati over um, Baltimore thing. But, yeah, you almost forget. It's like, oh, yeah, Lamar Jackson, unbelievable talent. It was just three years ago that he won MVP, not last year. Yeah, I mean, that's true. Uh, you know, the, the, the shiny toy thing can go beyond there, too. I mean, he, evidently he's not – shiny enough for the Ravens to rush to the contract table right, you know, and, and right. get this thing hammered out. So I, I understand that they're, they're being a little hesitant there. I also think Lamar's side, you know, not trying to engage in that deal is kind of peculiar to me, even at this point. Um, but I, they, ha- they, they just feel like a team to me that's out for revenge this year. Like, like hey, that wasn't us last year. If those injuries were in the way, we would have showed you guys who we were. And now we're healthy. We're going to show you. So there's a lot of question marks, um, especially at receiver for them. But I, I just like their chances just because that's an organization that's established, and if they could stay healthy, they'd be better than they were last year, which already wasn't too bad. We're talking NFL with Nick Shook. Nick, what do you expect from Trevor Lawrence this season? Former first overall pick not that long ago. Uh, didn't have the greatest rookie season. What do you expect from him this year? Man, he's looked pretty good through his first couple of preseason games. Uh, I think Doug Peterson's impact is already pretty visible when you watch him yeah. play. They loved what they love to do with him, at least in the preseason, is they love to get him going with boot action, where it's just like, we have Travis Etienne back here, uh, and we're going to, you know, pretend that we're going to hand the ball off, but we're going to get him out rolling because he's athletic enough to get on the run and get away from pressure. And he's made a lot of really nice throws in the run. He dropped a handful of dimes against the Steelers in that preseason game on Saturday. And to the point where I actually shouted watching a couple of them just because they were that good. Right over the outstretched hands of a defender for a completion for like 15 yards. Did it again like three plays later. I mean, I think that he's finally feeling comfortable in his surroundings and on the NFL field after a, a dysfunctional first season that would not be good for any rookie quarterback. And I think that's Doug Peterson's most important task to achieve this season is getting Trevor Lawrence back on track toward becoming the franchise quarterback they all believed that he would be when he was drafted first overall by the Jaguars. And so far through two preseason games, I have a lot of evidence that suggests that he is back on track and that Doug Peterson is having that impact. Now, their biggest issue so far has been the fact that they haven't been able to finish those drives and convert those uh, red zone trips into more than just field goals. But that'll come with time. And and I'm I'm encouraged by the way he's looked. He's looked a lot more like Clemson Trevor Lawrence than rookie year Trevor Lawrence, which should always be an exciting uh, uh, thing to to think about when you go into the season for a team with you know a fan base that has been as downtrodden as the Jaguars have been in recent years. Can we really understate just how messed up his rookie season was with Urban Meyer in charge? No, we can't. We had a we had a coach who wouldn't even fly back with the team uh because he wanted to stick around in Ohio. I mean he just treated a lot of it like it was college and you know, you never really know what you're gonna get with a college coach that goes to the NFL. Sometimes you get Jimmy Johnson. Sometimes you get Nick Saban. Sometimes you get Bobby Petrino. Sometimes you get Matt Rule. And then sometimes you get Urban Meyer. So 
I, I think he was probably better served to just stay in broadcasting anyway, and that the ego probably got in the way. And then he probably also realized pretty quickly that, whoa, this is a lot different. And, um, and it's just, it was a tough spot for all those guys to be in last year. So Doug Peterson coming in has got to be like a godsend. It's got to be like going from <laughs> this dysfunctional family life to going to your aunt and uncle's house who, you know, make you breakfast every day and make sure that your homework's done, but they're also, you know, caring and loving and supportive, and they have, they give you good advice, and, and they start a college fund for you. That's probably what Trevor Lawrence feels like right Can now. I call you dad? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly. Uh, Nick, before we let you go, we got to mention the Tom Brady situation. So first, for a guy that really hasn't done anything of significance aside from miss a bit of training camp, he's been in the news constantly. There was everyone on Twitter piecing together the, the different stories from online about how the mystery team that was supposedly going to get him and Gronk in free agency ended up being the Las Vegas Raiders and John Gruden and then that how that all kind of fell apart. And then there's this absence from training camp, 11 days, where the, the club reports that it was a family vacation, the reason that Tom Brady left in the middle of training camp and is now returned. Uh, My my, my big picture is Brady always seems like he's in the news and whatever he does or maybe doesn't even do, there's always relevance around him because of who he is. But I really don't feel like there's anything to this actual story, unless, of course, he was on The Masked Singer. (laughs) It's just strange. I think more than anything, it's just strange because Tom Brady is a guy who has built his brand on being one of the most dedicated and hyper-focused players on the planet when it comes to taking care of his body when it comes to preparation, you know, when him and Peyton Manning, it was like, do you like Brady or did you like Manning? Manning, one of his strengths was, oh, that guy watches a ton of film. He knows everything. He's in charge of the offense. He's calling all these different audibles. Well, Brady's been just like that as well for the majority of his career. So to see a guy step away from a team in the middle of training camp, uh, in the middle of the preseason, when you have already lost your starting center, you, you lose another guy when you're gone. Um, it's just peculiar because it, it piles onto what has been a strange offseason. Yes. You start with the retirement, uh, then you go with the unretirement. There's the whole Dolphin story about you know how you, there was a potential deal <laughs> in place for him to go to Miami. There's just been a lot of weird stuff that has gone on. You know, I get the, you know what I get from this is I get LeBron and his contract year in Cleveland vibes. Yeah. As somebody who's gone through that multiple times, that's what it is. It's like, well, LeBron's not happy. He might want to leave if, if the Cavs don't do X, Y, and Z. I just get that strange kind of feeling from it. Not that we've gotten those types of reports, but I get that feeling from it. So in absence of that point, I mean, hey, maybe he's going to take care of his body. Maybe, maybe he had something to handle with his family that he would prefer to keep private, which yeah. absolutely I, I respect that. But it is weird, so that's why we're talking about it. Nick, this was great, bud. Thanks a lot for doing it. We really appreciate it. Uh, enjoy the rest of the preseason. We'll do this later on when the regular season gets underway. Yeah, definitely. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for coming on. We appreciate it. That's Nick Shook from NFL.com here on the Halford and Brush on Sportsnet 650. What do you think it is, Jason? Well, I, mean, I, I mean, I think there's something to the story. It's 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 more than just like, oh, I had this vacation planned. I wonder if he cut a deal with Giselle where he was like, remember when I retired? Right. I'm going to not do that anymore. And she's like, well, you're going to have to do something for us and the kids. But, Tom, we <laughs> booked this vacation. I That's what, honestly, I could see. You know, do you like think the, maybe it was just non-refundable? Yes, that's what I think it is. He's like, I've already laid out quite a bit of money to go to the Bahamas. We are going. He didn't read the fine print on Expedia <laughs> right down at the bottom. <laughs> and now he's looped into this, like, and it was it was an exclusive resort in the Bahamas. So oh, you, you, did you think that maybe he was going to stay at like a sandals, a, a, yeah. three, a three star all inclusive <laughs> or something like that? Honey, let's try the all you can eat buffet. No, yeah. I know, I know. Like I, I just 
Part of me wants he's missing. He's he's just missing training camp. It's just out and of- I realize that some people will say, "Well, he's he's the goat. He can do what he wants." But yeah, but that's not been his mo. Exactly. Right. He's been a guy that puts the utmost importance on preparation, work, diligence, details. You don't get those things. Which by- is so weird that he didn't read the details on when he signed up for this vacation, right? Mm-hmm. It was very clear. Non-refundable sea-do rentals down <laughs> at Sandals, and he had to go. I don't. I mean, again, at the end of the day, this could be, Nick brought it up too, this could just be a smokescreen for he had to go get something medically done. And his family... And he they, flew his doctor to the Bahamas. Yeah, right? Like, oh, well, he has the money to do it. He could have flown the whole hospital to the Bahamas if he wanted. But yeah. they, they could have done a variety of things here. I, the, the bigger story is that it's been such an odd off-season for him. Yeah. And he's just kind of like smiled and chuckled his way through the entire thing. Mm-hmm. Making jokes. Posting, on Twitter, too. Yeah, yeah. posting TikToks. Like, yeah. it's just... And it's... He's is he on like TikTok as well? Is he on all the social medias? Yeah, he's very active. He's very mm-hmm. active socially. And, I mean, he, he's got that deal in pocket to become an analyst when he's done. There's, I just feel like he he's, he's looks and feels like a guy that's got every, everything in the palm of his hand. Like, he can do whatever he wants at this point, yeah. right? He can retire and go make a bunch of money. He can keep playing and go make a bunch of money. He could leave Tampa Bay at the end of this year, and he'd probably get another gig real quick next year. Like, every, he can do whatever he wants. In terms of social media, I have a question for you. Okay. What are the power rankings of your social media right now in terms of time spent? Oh, it's- First of all, you've got to list your socials. Not even a list. I'm on Twitter all the time. So it's Twitter. Yeah. Twitter's number one. What about, what's the silver medal? Because for me, I'm Mm. only really active in terms of social media. I've never been on Facebook. I downloaded TikTok once and realized this was too complicated. I just don't want to add another, it's not complicated, but- no, I don't do it. lie. It's complicated. It, it, for me, it is. <laughs> it I'm is like, not complicated. I know it's, it's yeah, not it's complicated. Just, it's just but I super. But I did. But I just. I was like, oh, I'm going to waste too much time on this. So uh, I spend less time on Twitter than I used to, for sure, because I don't like. I don't like it necessarily. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm more on Instagram now. Ross big on fun. ICQ. <laughs> Huge on ICQ. Yeah. <laughs> His MySpace page is like yeah. but, real sick right now. But but Twitter, so your Twitter, what's your what's number two for you? God, I don't know. Probably TikTok. I TikTok. Guess. Yeah. God, you're such a kid. Well, no, because I like watching videos of dance of TikTok dancing. No, I don't have to watch dancing. No, no, no. There's lots of good like the I don't know all the different like comedy writers and all the different funny right. Twitter. Uh, it just feels like a poor man's Vine. I just don't get TikTok. I, but I used to like, love Vine. I, I know Vine. Me, oh, I me too. Vine. Vine, Vine was back. amazing. Yeah, Vine yeah. was so good. And I see TikTok. Yeah. I'm just like. This is just like a less good version of Vine. Instagram stinks. You don't, don't like Instagram? No, no, I don't. Instagram is out. Yeah. So <laughs> one, out. one text or truth social. <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting pretty big on Parlor. Uh, how often I'm are you- i start my own. It's going to be called like True Patriot. And it's just, <laughs> I don't know. It's going to be like four guys with t- cell phones. That's going to be our social media. We're just going to talk to each other. How often are you guys on Reddit? I have the Reddit app. Oh, I love Reddit. That's oh, my Reddit go-to my news phone. source. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I I end up there on like searches a lot, like a lot of health searches. Like if you have oh. like a, a little ailment and then you get like all the Reddit people like, I have that too. Yeah. That's not bad. My buddy that he was very avid outdoorsman in Alberta, he used it for, there was like, I did not realize how many people were dedicated to posting every intricacy about hikes. 
Right. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, no, it's good though. Yeah. Well, yeah. It's a great yeah. way. It's a crowdsourcing. Yeah. Right? It's a great way to get all crowdsourcing. These yeah. Yeah. The I use that mostly to keep my ear to the ground with what's going on in the streets. It's mm-hmm. a great way to get City news and information this. if you customize like the, the like their go to just the default yeah. Reddit page is kind of a gong show, but if you customize your subreddit so you get all the news that you want it's yeah, actually like really, the, the city of van like you get that's like, really good yeah. yeah like i mean because they've got everything right it's got stuff that won't make i'll find right. some good hockey stories on like the hockey subreddit that yeah. i don't see anybody tweeting about then it'll get posted there i'm just like why is nobody talking about this like yeah some really good stuff that way i'm still over at hf boards <laughs> <laughs> just constantly refreshing the vancouver media thread <laughs> you're the last one there about me? <laughs> yeah i can't like me still i can't believe message oh, Bruff was on a canucks twitter i saw sorry canucks uh subreddit the other day for what Your, i was yeah the tweet you made yesterday about that other quote from uh the rutherford oh, article okay. so it wasn't really me it was just passing along that C- correct but like right. once in a while I'll see your stupid face pop up on the canuck subreddit and like oh my face is on it why would well because because be when it? they post the thing your twitter avatar oh, will be there oh, so it's so my it's, panicked yeah, face yeah, you, from the team canada game yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I've I've know we we've made a few appearances on the Canucks subreddit. You're very so. famous there. Eh, Modern. Yeah. We're just we, we don't we're we're just kind of those guys that have been there for a long time. Yeah. We're like we're like, we're like Norm at the end of the bar at Cheers and Cliff. Like we're just there. Yeah, they're funny. They've been around for a while. It's like a nice comfy pair of slippers, basically. That's How it. is TikTok for golf, do you think? Because I use Instagram a lot for golf tips and that sort of thing. It's great actually. You're just yeah, Lena's in. You're just <laughs> Lena's in. Um, what, are you familiar with golf TikTok? Is well, there just a... like it's curated with sports for me now. Like yeah. the more you interact with types of TikToks, so there's so many. It's not just dance moves or kids thinking anymore. It's all sorts of sources of news, sports then, betting, all sorts of things. So it'll curate to what your interests are. And then your significant other looks at it, and you're like, "You've been looking at some interesting stuff here." <laughs> Look what Instagram is curating for you. Yeah, I don't like, like, Instagram's curation stinks. I don't like it, right? Yeah, I get a lot of cats and golf. Right, marrying those two Cats worlds. playing golf, that yeah. sort of thing. <laughs> At Top Golf, there's just a party of cats sitting around. Be amazing. Uh, right, what do we got coming up? Uh, eight o'clock hour, we're going to do, oh, wow, we're late, aren't we? Sorry, that TikTok conversation really took up some time. Eight o'clock hour, uh, we're going to do what we learned at 8.30, eight o'clock. Just on the other side of the break, Thomas Drance from the Athletic Vancouver is going to join us. So it's a big final hour on a Tuesday. Don't go anywhere. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet 650.